Crossway Church Sermon Audio. Okay, so last week we looked at uh, the promise of the Holy Spirit in Acts 1 and the first obstacle that faced the church in the betrayal of Judas. And we saw through Jesus' promise, coming of the Holy Spirit, that it would be God who would be doing the work, right? Not the apostles. And that they were going to receive power when and only when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And I said it's good to remember this theme as well as we go through Acts, that we're going to see a lot of impressive, amazing things. And it it might be easy to be tempted to look at the person or the apostle um, who, who God worked through. And, and just stop and focus on them. But I want us to always see the Holy Spirit. I want to see our God who's behind these amazing acts because he's the one that is actually giving the power uh, to transform and, and to, to do these miracles. That it's not, you know, the power of Peter or the power of Paul, you know. And I think that's important because, you know, when you start to feel the burden of the gospel, like even when I was just sharing there, Again, it's not going to be me. Like, it's not going to be me in my own strength going out and sharing the gospel. Like, that would be a fool's errand. But it's going to be the Holy Spirit working through me to give me the words, to give me the boldness. You see the word boldness a lot, you know, in Acts. That is where my strength is going to come from. Um, And so I think it's important to remember that. You know, Jesus even said this to the disciples. He says this to us in John 15, 5, where he said, I am the vine. And you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, so it's good. It's good to remember that that we need to be, and we are only empowered by the Holy Spirit. You know, to share the gospel, to to build His kingdom. That that's the power that we get to build His kingdom, to reconcile souls to God. And then we saw how, with the obstacle of the betrayal of Judas, there's nothing that can stop that. You know, which is. Again, very encouraging. Like, if you want power, if you, if you really want to make a difference, like, join, join God's mission. God's mission is to redeem souls to himself, is to reconcile men to God. And he's not going to get stopped doing that. So if we partner with him in that, I mean, that is an unstoppable force. And so we're going to see that a lot. Not as, not as much tonight. I'd say probably Acts 2 might be the least persecution-y chapter. <laughs> In Acts, but we're going to see that, like, certainly next week, of how obstacle after obstacle keeps coming up against the church. And every time, God just blows right through it. And like I said last week, he doesn't just blow through it. It's, it's, it's like he uses it as gasoline for his purpose. You know, there's no, there's no um, you know, three steps back. There's, not, there's none of that. It's, it's every obstacle he uses to... Advance. So tonight, that leads us to Acts 2, where we're going to read about Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit that was promised by Jesus, we heard that we read about last week, descends on the 120 disciples, that's what I'm going to say tonight, who are gathered there. So before we jump in, uh, just a little background on Pentecost. I'm a bit of a history nerd, so I always want to like dig in and see what it means and, and all that stuff. So bear with me for like one paragraph. Um, so if, if you've never like dug in on Pentecost, Pentecost it comes from the Greek word Pentecosti, which is just means fiftieth day. So the fiftieth day means fiftieth day after Passover. So 
It's actually uh, traditionally overlaps with the Jewish holiday of Shavuot. I worked on my pronunciation this week. Shavuot, which was the uh, beginning of the wheat harvest. But however, during the time of Acts, as holidays kind of had a tendency of doing, it actually had morphed into something more of the, um, a celebration of the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. So it's interesting that, that that's what Pentecost had become the celebration of because the Lord doesn't really do anything that doesn't have significance, right? So the law at Mount Sinai was a major, major point, like a major, um, you could call it dispensation, like of God to his people. Like, here's my law. Like, and here on Pentecost, we're going to see another powerful dispensation of the Holy Spirit. And so, again, there's a lot, there's a lot going on here, but um, there, this, we'll see that there's significance not only to what happens, but obviously like when it happens as well. So, because this is going to usher in essentially a, a new age. So this is going to usher in what we would call the, the covenant age, where it's the time of um, you know, Jesus' ascension to the time that he comes again. So, we have a big task tonight. <laughs> it's a big task. Um, together, we are going to try to cover all 47 verses of Acts 2, and I'm going to try to do it in about 20 minutes. So, I don't know. You know, we're, we're just going to dive in here. You know, if I, I, I um, ask you to focus with me as we go through this, and we're going to cover a lot of ground, but I think it's going to be worth it. So our theme tonight is the prophesied coming of the Holy Spirit empowers us to boldly share the gospel and witness for Christ. So again, if you're thinking, hmm, Josh, that sounds really similar to the theme last week. It is. Because, again, the focus in the book of Acts is evangelism and how we, are sh- see, we see the early church sharing the gospel and witnessing for Christ. But we're going to see it in keyword there, boldly. And we're going to see it in, in the church's witness later on in the chapter. So would you turn with me to Acts 2? Okay. So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues, as of fire, appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Wow. So let's look at this. Okay, the Holy Spirit shows up, arise. And as Luke describes it, it's a powerful rushing wind. It's as of flames of fire. And... I thought this was interesting as I was doing my, my reading on this, that, that wind and fire are actually often tied with the arrival and presence of the Lord in other parts of Scripture. So if you look, like, for example, when the Israelites are led by the pillar of fire at night, right? Um, we see this when Ezekiel has his vision of the glory of the Lord in Ezekiel 1. If you've never read Ezekiel 1, if you've never read Ezekiel, I, I highly recommend it, but in, in Ezekiel 1, it says, Ezekiel writes, As I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness all around it, and fire flashing forth continually. And in the midst of the fire, 
as it were, gleaming metal. And I read all of Ezekiel 1, and he just continues to talk about like the arrival of the glory of the Lord, and I was just like, my mind is exploding. <laughs> but again, like we see wind and fire. So again, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, is showing up, and we shouldn't be surprised when we see the whole, it says the entire house was filled with this mighty rushing wind. So this is quite a this is quite a commotion, you know. This is um, incredible. And and what do we see happening right away? I find this to be interesting too. So what what does it say there in in verse four? And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So that's interesting because if we go back to the first chapter when Jesus is talking to his disciples there in in verse 8 he's saying you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and what does he say that power will help them to do to be my witnesses in Judea in Jerusalem to the ends of the earth right this is this is very important because all of us you know that's the first thing that they end up they start doing they start speaking in other tongues that, that would be a pretty helpful gift if you're wanting to be a witness in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth, right? So immediately, like the first thing that we see them doing is being empowered to witness as Jesus had promised them. Like you're going to receive power to witness to the ends of the earth. And immediately that's exactly what they start doing. So quick for context like what does Luke mean by speaking in tongues I I think the the most simple explanation is that they're speaking in other languages other than their native tongue they would have been as as Galileans probably they would have been speaking Aramaic I I would say that you know Hebrew was reserved usually for like religious ceremonies high gatherings things like that they probably were speaking you know Aramaic so other languages would be you know, perhaps Hebrew, there was you know, Greek. All of a sudden, they're speaking all of these different languages. And I think it's important to, to focus on the fact that they're Galileans for a second because Galileans weren't thought necessarily very highly of. They were kind of like considered simple country folk, especially by the Judeans who were um, usually more educated, more higher class. And it's ironic because you know, the Judeans are actually going to be some of the first people to show up uh, on the scene. So I think that's important to see that, you know, the first thing that the arrival of the Holy Spirit gives them the power to do is to speak in other languages that will help them, you know, spread the gospel and to be witnesses for Christ. So that, again, so immediately you see the fulfillment of the promise, you know, as soon as it happens. So, again, this is quite a commotion, you know. So the third person of the train shows up, the whole room's filled, there's a rushing wind. Um, it's believed that this was very close to the Temple Mount. So, again, this upper room it would have been within, within earshot of the Temple Mount, which was a very busy, very popular area. And this event does not happen without notice, as we'll see next. So let's read uh, verses 5 through 13. <clears throat> now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men, 
from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us in his own native language, Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia? Hmm. Any help there? Phrygia? We'll go with Phrygia. And Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They're filled with new wine. So I mentioned before these simple Galileans filled with the Holy Spirit and now speaking in other tongues. And so we probably have Greek, Latin, Hebrew, and others. And interestingly, if you look at verse 9, there's a, there's a pretty long list of geographic areas that are given, right? Like I, I should have actually put a map up. That would have been pretty helpful. But it, 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 it covers a pretty large area of the Middle East, and it mostly spreads uh, to, to the right of Jerusalem. So if you're, you're thinking of the Middle East, it's, it's, it's a, a large, they called it the diaspora. So Jews as far out as Oh, probably be like you know modern day Turkey. I mean it's it's a it's a really wide it's a wide range, and you can see there's visitors from Rome. So in this gathering, you have an am- amazing cluster of multiple people from all over, you know the the Middle East. Again, not accidental. <laughs> okay, so it, this is going to prove critical for the spread of the gospel because God's about to infuse the Holy Spirit in all of these these men and women that are in Jerusalem at this time. And they're going to travel, some of them, back to the land, their lands to share it. So to bring to bring it back to that promises promise, the disciples are immediately empowered to speak in other languages. And they're declaring the mighty works of God. And they're hearing them in their own languages. I mean this is, you know, just incredible what's going on here. And you can see, you know, the effect. It's like some of them, some of the people are like, what do, what in the world do we make of this? You know, and some of them are saying, oh, they're filled with new wine. And so that is, is basically a slight because if you know anything about wine, new wine has a very low alcohol content. You know, wine, the longer it ferments, gets, gets actually more alcoholic. So basically saying, you know, He's a bunch of softies, like, you know, it's basically meant to be, you know, an insult. As I said, they're mocking them, right? So I just wanted to explain that. So, but yeah, you have this immediate effect. All of a sudden, you know, the Temple Mount, you know, becomes, you know, confused and, 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 and you know, people aren't sure what exactly is going on. So what happens next? Let's look at verse 13. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. That would be 9 a.m. 
But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on your sons and your daughters, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, a great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the Lord, the name of the Lord, shall be saved. So Peter stands up and makes the first speech in the book of Acts. And he immediately uses scripture, which, again, this is an important point to note. Why? Again, if we go back to last week, and we, we talked about Jesus at the end of the Gospel of Luke. He says that he, he opens their minds to understand the Scriptures. Like he goes through the Scriptures with his disciples. And he says, this is why Joel said that. Because this is what he's quoting there. This is why, as we'll see soon, David says this. He, he literally says, goes back through the whole Old Testament and says, this is how... This is how all of these, these men were speaking about me. They were speaking about my coming. This is every, everything was leading up to me and my arrival. And so I, I think it's important to see that like Peter, this, could, this, this is something that, that Jesus like, opened up his mind to understand. And so right off the bat here at Pentecost, he stands up and he starts to remind them of this passage in the book of Joel where it talks about you know, these, these last days where, where, where God pours out his spirit on all flesh and this, their sons and daughters will prophesy. So I think, again, this is incredible to see that, that again, it's, it's all, everything is, is, is flowing in the direction of how it was laid out to be. Like that the Old Testament you know, was prophesying Christ and, and Christ opens up the minds of the disciples to understand how he was prophesied and, and, and how he has come and how all of this ties together. And immediately, you know, Peter is going to stand up and to these Jewish people who, who know who the prophet Joel was, he's going to be able to share to them exactly how Joel ties into the coming of Christ. So, there's a, there's there's some in there too that the our latest later prophecy that like he's using it all the whole passage. So when it talks about you know blood and fire and vapor of smoke, some of these things haven't come to pass yet. But he's using it to say most importantly in verse 21, it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So let's look at verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words: Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Pause there. This is also very important. So if you were here on Sunday, Pete talked about Cyrus. Okay, and how God is always working within the powers to accomplish his plan. We see this here, like explicitly, where he says, this Jesus 
in verse 23, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Right? You killed and crucified by the hands of lawless men. So it's important to see like this. Jesus was just randomly killed by the Jewish people. His death was no accident. This was the intentional plan of God from the very beginning. And so we just see this like time and time again, like of, of God, you know, preserving his church as he's done like the, the, the whole way through. And I just find it interesting. Like if you start to really look at how things developed, like through the old Testament, you're going to see a very clear pattern of God constantly preserving and working through all of these different events and at times it feels very like disconnected like why did that happen and why did cyrus come you know why did jesus why was jesus killed like this doesn't you know at face value if you were just looking at that event it wouldn't necessarily make sense right but if you take a step back and that's the beauty of scripture right we have we can take a step back at it we can look at it and we can see that god is always fulfilling his eternal plan and I think we see this most, most profoundly in the genealogy of Jesus, right? So, like, if you look at the genealogy of Jesus in the beginning of, uh, I think it's the beginning of Matthew, where he's going through and saying, like, how all of these different people were part of the line that led to Jesus, you know? So the reason that Noah and his family are saved, the reason that Moses is saved from Pharaoh, the reason that the Red Sea parts, that the manna is given, that the spies are hidden by Rahab, that Ruth finds favor with Boaz, like all of these like unlikely, seemingly impossible situations. Like it's to preserve the rich genealogy that led to Christ. Like God was working in all of those situations. And, and, and so again, like that's why we look at this again. I think it's important to say like this is just yet another, obviously the biggest thing, you know, Jesus is coming, you know, and, and then death and resurrection. But there was so much that has come before that led to that. And as I said last week, it's not that, that God is done. Like, God is still working his plan today. Like, the things and events and things that are going on in this world, like, he is still working his eternal plan, right? So I just want to encourage you with that. Like, that's something, like, if you get stuck on, like, s- something that's happening in the government or something that's happening in the culture, and you're like, I just can't believe this is happening, and, you know, this seems like, you know, it's heading in the wrong direction, it, it very well might be in terms of like sins. We call it, we got to call sin what it is, but God is always working behind the details. Like he's always working behind the scenes. All of these things that had happened, like the, the, the killing of all the, the babies when, when Moses was, was preserved. I mean, that was, that was horrible, right? Like you would sit there and say, how in the world is anything, how is anything good coming out of this, right? You don't even know. You don't even know. You don't even know, but God is working in that. So that's just my encouragement. Like, again, we read all of this. It leads up to that. God is still working his plan no matter what is going on. And I think it's important, you know, not to miss that. So keep moving on here. We're doing great. We're on verse 25. Remember, there's only 47, so we're, we're getting there. I know it's getting dark. I'm sorry. Don't fall asleep on me. You got to stand up, get some coffee. I get it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> all right, so verse 25. For David says concerning him... I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. 
you have made me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, who he was quoting there, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants, David's descendants, on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Holy, from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make, my, until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So there's a lot there. I, I, I don't have time to go into all of that. Um, but I want to say that again, Peter is, just as he used the prophet Joel, he's using now David to again open the scriptures to them and say this is how Christ was foretold in his coming. And just the boldness to do it. Again, like for him to stand up in this in front of this many people and say to him, this Jesus who you crucified, <laughs> you know, like this isn't this isn't a soft message. Like he's saying verse thirty six, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. I'm thinking, Woo This is about to get real. Like he's he's accusing them of murder. <laughs> like you know, and and so the boldness of Peter to stand up and to say this um, is incredible. It should encourage us. And again, it's, it's the boldness of Peter through the working of the Holy Spirit. And I want us, as we keep going, what is the response of those who hear Peter's speech? So this is the last point. So the, what's the response? So we, we see the effect of the Holy Spirit coming. What is, the, what is the immediate response? So we see that in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So again, like the immediate response, because everybody has an immediate response to the gospel, right? You're either softened by it, you're hardened by it, okay? Like no, nobody, nobody can remain neutral with the gospel. These, these 3,000, they're cut to the heart. And they immediately ask, well, what can we do? Jesus, sorry, Peter immediately tells them that they should repent and be baptized. And this requires faith. You know, they, they have to have heard this and, and in faith seen the need for Jesus in their sin and turn to him and repent and be baptized. Because without faith, 
again, it's impossible to please him, right? So Hebrews 11, 6, without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and rewards those who seek him. So, so God is calling to himself these, these men and women who are cut to the heart when they hear the gospel. And you, if you think about your own gospel story, if you think about your own salvation, like that, you can remember that moment where, you know, you, you said, wow, like what do I need to do? Like this is, this is real. Like I need to turn. I need to repent. I need to put my faith in Christ. This is that, that same moment. You can put yourself in their shoes where they're, they're immediately, you know, drawn and convinced. Um, by the need, by their need of the gospel. So we have to share the gospel, and, and and yes, some people will will outright reject it, right? Like there's not always going to be three thousand souls that get saved every time you share the gospel, okay? <laughs> but we should expect that, right? The, the Bible says later on that the gospel is the smell of death to those who are perishing, right? But it it's the it's the smell of of life to those who God is calling to Himself. So we're going to get this very distinct response when we share the gospel. But we need to share the gospel. And it's incredible. 3,000 are saved that day. But that's not the only incredible thing that happens. So go with me to verse 42. And this is where we'll wrap up. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as as many had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So we see the response immediately there at the Temple Mount in the upper room with the 3,000. But there's also a, a, a response in the church, right? So what's the Holy Spirit's presence doing in the church? Like, What do we see in these verses? All who believed were together. They were attending the temple together, breaking bread together. We see a consistent theme of togetherness and worship that the Holy Spirit's presence brings. We see them studying the teachings of Jesus through the apostles, sharing with one another, selling their goods as anyone had need. And an interesting point here is that the Jews that initially heard and believed Peter's speech actually had a lot of need. Because if you think about it, they had, many of them come from far off lands, had only brought with them what they had, what they had brought. Like they were traveling to Jerusalem with the intent to go back, but they did not actually bring their entire livelihoods with them, right? So think about that. You've You've come to Jerusalem with what you have, what you've brought. Now you've heard the gospel. You've, you're, you've, you've adopt, been adopted into this new faith. And you're like, I, you, know, I, you know, do I stay here? Do I go back? I don't, you, know, you, you see a lot of need, actually, right away. They have no connections, no possessions, very limited possessions. So it's into that need that the church steps in uh, to, to help right away. You know, it's... It's it's really incredible. There's there's you know no no compulsion or anything like that. Some people will try to use this passage as like Christian communism. I don't know if you've ever <laughs> heard that. Like I know I sort of 
like in my early 20s, like had that like belief. But it, as we'll see next week with the story of Ananias and Sapphira, um, there's no compulsion here. This was as they had need, you know, people were giving, they were stepping into it. And there's been so many stories there's been so many people even here at Crossway over the years who've had needs. And it, isn't it such a beautiful thing when you see the church respond? Like there's like there's an incredible need. You know, like just for example right now, like Ben Ben and Jasmine Brown. Like, you know, they're in Turkey right now because of Ben's cancer. And the church has just, you know, even even before with what happened with their daughter Geneva, I mean, just an incredible pouring out in a time of need, right? And that is a powerful witness. Like the world sees these things. And I think that's like, again, what I, what I, what I think we should take out of this, um, among other things, you know, that it's a powerful witness for us to be stepping into the needs that, that others have in the church. Just one other thought on that Christian communism thing. I just want to put it, put it to bed with a good quote. Um, Gareth Reese, uh, Professor Gareth Reese, in his commentary on Acts, summed it up this way. He said, uh, now both communism and fellowship, so you go back to the, the verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. He says, both communism and fellowship, koinonia in Greek, have a root idea of common. But after that, the two ideas go very separate ways. So communism says, what is yours is mine. And I'll take it. Fellowship, koinonia, says, what is mine is yours. I'll share it. The one, communism, invades the right of private property. And the other voluntarily relinquishes the right of private property where it sees a need. I thought that was really good. It's like separating those two and saying, like, that's actually what we're seeing here. There's no compulsion. There's no, that's mine. I take it. It's. What's mine is yours. I'm going to share it with you. And I see a need, and I'm going to voluntarily step into that and give it to you. So I just like that quote. Um, so wrapping up this section, we see the church doing life together, worshiping together. There's a togetherness. So we see signs and wonders. They're praising God. They're receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. And I think this is how the church should be marked. So I, I, I commend you for being here tonight, right? So this is a gathering of the church. And, and you are, you are through the power of the Holy Spirit. You, you were, you were, um, compelled to come tonight. Like you, you wanted to be together with God's people. So I commend you for that. And, and I think my, my challenge would be how else can we look to be together? I mean, in, in a very separate world, even in the church, we all have our own lives. We're not necessarily living close to one another. How can we, how can we do life more together? You know, because again, when the church gets together like this, when they're sharing lives, their lives together, it is a powerful witness to an unlucking world. So, are there other ways that you can, you know, be intentional? Are there ways you can be more generous? You know, are there are there, there are needs that you see that you can give to within the church? Consider that, because again, the the world is watching, and the Holy Spirit is the one that is giving us that that powerful witness through our togetherness, through our love for one another. So how can we, you know, step back, step into that and be faithful witnesses? So I take a deep breath. We did it. We went through 47 verses. I don't think that was 20 minutes. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I just want us to, again, 
just be inspired as we see what's happened. I mean, there's so much in this chapter. I encourage you to go back and actually give it more time and, 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 and the time and attention and, and meditate on it and see what the Lord is doing. Um, but I think most importantly, I just want to say, like, are we relying on the same power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? That this isn't just, a, oh, that's interesting. Like, isn't that cool what God did there? Like, no, that the Holy Spirit is very much so active in each and every one of us is when we believe we receive the Holy Spirit. So how are you, how are you walking faithfully to witness through the power of the Holy Spirit? For more information, head to our website at crosswaypa.org.